Oh, I'm zapped, man. Are you talk zapped? About talk about something interesting or I'm done, though. Oh. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Are you guys drinking delicious Nicaraguan organic Guadalupe Rostri coffee this evening? It, yes. It tastes like, uh, well... Heaven should, in a cup? Heaven in a cup. Uh, trying to think of what it tastes. Here, let me take a sip here. I can barely hear that, Mike. Mm. <laughs> he sounded like his mother. No, it's too hot. You'll burn your tongue. Um, <laughs> Who says that? That tastes like tobacco, whiskey, chocolate chip cookies, Whoa. and a steak dinner. All oh, in one. snap. Fresh mm-hmm. Guadalupe Nicaraguan coffee. With a Get ghost pepper. Today. With a ghost pepper, oh. yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna <eat> my tongue. <laughs> I drink twelve cups a day. Help keep me strong. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't slept in years. Hey, how's the parish going, man? How you doing? Going really well. This week is crazy. You guys think you're fried? I got three funerals this week. Ooh. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. I was at the funeral home last night for a week. Had a funeral this morning just got back from the funeral home right now got that one tomorrow then another one on wednesday so thanks for a long week it's good when it rains it pours man yeah yeah i had to sit through two classes back to back and work on emails and check georgia stats from the weekend yeah it's brutal so, we all have our crosses dude exhausting that was fairly exhausting <laughs> what classes were you sitting through paul with john and then reformation and revolution with dr hilliard hmm. dude dr hilliard i he's a real deal man of faith yeah he, it really comes through in his classes um yeah, I always appreciate it when he when he adds that element to it. That guy, he's just impressive. He really is. I like his class a lot. Hmm. So we're talking about the Spanish missions right now. How is that ma- what uh, made you think of the mission? Yes. Even though they're yes, Portuguese he, in that movie, aren't they? Technically, those missions. Yeah. Wasn't it? It's like, yeah, modern day. Where would it be? Hey, Rob, are you talking right into the mic? Or are you not up? Or you don't sound good? Uh, how's that? A little better. Can, should we turn it? Maybe turn it up a little. Yeah. Here, here we go. I got it. Test one, two, three. Is that better? That is better. Test one, two, three. All oh right. My gosh, dude, we got these widgets, these gidgets and gasmos down. Hey. <laughs> nice. I like that little trio <laughs> of words. <laughs> <laughs> hey, say a prayer before so we don't forget. And then right. entertain me with some topic. Right. <laughs> Mike, why don't you pray? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Relax. That reminds me, a little point of order. Um, as I'm editing these podcasts, I've noticed in the last two episodes, I don't, I'm trying to figure out if it's you or me, but I found that a lot of times I'll finish a, an extended rant 
or just a, like a comment and then there's this pause of sometimes like 15 seconds where you guys don't say anything is that because i'm trying to picture like if i were on your end is that because you guys are deciding who should talk or because there's nothing to say i think if i didn't know they were 15 seconds sometimes they're very I, long and i cut them out no it's it's not us this it's not us like letting the other one talk yeah it's because we don't know what to say mm. well, yeah i have to hear the context of it but that's mm-hmm. my guess mm-hmm yeah, because sometimes I'm just kind of out of... That's what I was figuring, is if my thing is just kind of out of left field, whatever. Hey, you do you, man. Exactly, yeah, you. I just got to do me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be that you just blew our minds and we're just sitting over here and like... Yeah, I wish I could see it. Like the your brain's just kind of like plastered off the back of the the wall or the window because of what it's I just disgusting. said. No, it's it's generally <laughs> us. It's... It's generally us for like 15 seconds pointing and like about to talk and like, uh, oh, uh, you, oh, oh, sorry. Yep. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lots of pointing. Well, I, oh, you go. Oh, no. oh me. Yeah. Oh, you, yeah go ahead. Like the night at the Roxbury. Yeah. You, you, me, you, you, me. Oh, man. I have Did watched just... uh, four episodes now of The Stranger Things. Las Whoa. Cosas Extrañas. <laughs> Las Cosas Más Extrañas. Uh, I got it. It's cool. I'm. I'm pretty over that but what do you think you're over it did you watch the whole thing oh yeah so you're not 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 a fan no i'm a fan okay you said i'm over it there's a difference i'll explain why continue okay uh yeah i mean i just found it entertaining i'm not i'm not like oh my gosh i gotta know what happens i gotta watch the next one but i wasn't really liked it with the first season to be honest with you i think i just watched it because so many people were talking about it um I thought it was cool, but not my favorite show ever. The one show, I think we've mentioned this before, that really caught me was when I was in college, Prison Break. Same. Oh, my never, God. It was, the first time, it was the first time I ever watched a show like that where you had the DVDs and you you were just like, well, that cliffhanger ending is not going to do it. I'm going to have to watch the next <laughs> yeah. episode. That yeah. was me in 24. Yeah, so, a lot yeah, of people I, were like that with 24. Prison Break, say more. Oh, it's hard to describe. How would you describe it, Mike? Um, so I guess the, the premise I, it, is the guy, there's a big hoss of a dude. Well, real Lincoln. quick, I mean, real quick, my guess just from the, <laughs> the title would be that they were just trying to break out of prison. Well, no, it's like complicated. Once, it's complicated. Once that was accomplished... The show would be over. Dude, how long can you no, kind of go I, with that? See, that's what you'd think. That's, that's what you'd, and that's how it starts. Okay. That that's season one, really. But then it gets into like uh, energy companies controlling the whole world and like mm-hmm. things that Ooh. are bigger than the president of the United States. Like <sighs> yeah. the president is a pawn. So like maybe it would be a good idea to have a prep shelter in light of this show. Uh, calm down, calm down. Rob wants a prep <laughs> shelter so bad. Is that what you're saying? I told him, I said, you stay away from my dad, okay? Because he is just <laughs> a, it's a straw out. away from breaking that camel's back. <laughs> I can get oh the prep my shelter. gosh. Yeah, there are too many reasons not to. No, that show, uh, Prison Break, did get away from its core competency of breaking out of prisons. They did try in another season, it might have been the second season, to break out of another prison. A Panamanian Yeah, that was one. season three. I, I season skipped three. it. So they went. I so season one, it. they break out of a prison. That season is by far the best. There's all this tense drama. 
Yes. He's got the entire prison encoded in a body tattoo that he got before he went in. He broke into prison first. Didn't break in, but intentionally got a life sentence by discharging a weapon in a bank robbery. Basically, to get in to rescue his brother from death row, and he was being framed. So Mm. that's the whole drama. It's him trying to get out of prison. He's got to befriend all these guys in jail. And so there's drama there with conflicts within the jail and then with the guards and digging his way out and all this stuff, ingratiating himself with the nurse and blah, blah, blah. Every episode has a, has a cliffhanger and the goal is so clear, get out of prison. And then they get out. And then the second season is there. They finally break out, but their plan to like get out of the country didn't work. So now they're on the lam. That was still kind of exciting, but you're right. It's like, well, this isn't really what I came here for. I came for a prison break. So they return to that in the third season where he gets locked up in a Panamanian jail. Yeah. But by that time, by that time, you're like, all right, well, I think I can really only get excited about one prison break. Mm -hmm. But you stick with it because you're committed. And then the four, I think it was the fourth season. It was when you get into like government conspiracies and computer chips and things like that. <laughs> I think it was called Scylla, one of the things that was like a computer program. Yeah, and, yeah. And ah. the guy's mother came back from the dead and she had been a secret agent and now she and at the end of one episode I was watching with Jamie Mueller nice. in college. The end of one episode the cliffhanger was Michael, I think we have to entertain the possibility that your mother has Scylla. And then it was like zoom. And I turned to Jamie and I go, "Man, I don't care who has Scylla. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not into this show anymore. I'm so just that, punching my ticket to get to the end. That's kind of where I'm at with the Stranger Things, man. Yeah. Well, dang it. Because you haven't seen it, so I don't want to give any spoilers. We shouldn't anyway, because a lot of people probably haven't seen it. Fine. Fine. But I feel like in a lot of ways, it was still, I mean, I was still, I still liked it. I still enjoyed <clears> watching it. But Yeah. They pretty much just uh, tried to break out of prison for a second time. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, like right. that was kind of what happened. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Except there, there was I don't know. It just lacked a certain depth that I think the first season had. Yeah, it was it was just so so plot driven that it maybe it uh, just skipped over a lot of those like really cool interpersonal relationships uh-huh. that I, I, the first one. That's what makes it good is watching those mm. kids interact. Yeah, uh, watching the parents, things like that. That's an it's interesting similar, it's uh, like, contrast between plot-driven and character-driven. I haven't, I haven't given that much thought. Yeah, well, and they, um, I don't know, they, so like they, and they mixed up the relationships a little bit in it. Um, but it just, yeah, it was too much. Was like playing off and like just trying to be the first season or use what was like really popular or good about the first season um to it it's similar like we've talked about i haven't like drawn this correlation but uh that france pilgrimage that we took in may like we've talked about that this year and it's like we could never recreate that pilgrimage because if we tried to just go do the same thing again because of how awesome it was it just wouldn't be the same so it's like we might as well not even try to redo it which is interesting because that whole trip went through this period of purification over three or four very long years where years. we we tried to get over there and by using different grants to like 
oh, we can get over there if we agree to write some research papers. We can get over there if we apply for so-and-so, which kind of would have been like an objective-driven pilgrimage. But then over time, it just came down to like, hey, we want to get over there because we want to. Mm-hmm. And we want to get over there and spend time with the saints and spend time with each other over there. And I think that was exactly what it needed to come to yeah. in order for that pilgrimage to be what it was. Hmm. Um, so in that same sense, I would say it, it wasn't plot driven. It wasn't purpose driven. It was just, let's get over there because we know we're supposed to. And we had a heck of a good time. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, the lightning striking twice in the same place. I think of it as kind of like the cottonwood analogy where if you try to grab at that cottonwood seed while it's floating in the air, you'll never catch it. But if it, you let it land on you, um, <laughs> it's the same thing like joy or that fire or whatever that thing is that makes a thing kind of magical. <laughs> what are you laughing at me for? I, I'm just picturing I have an image of Christian shoes standing in like a butterfly <laughs> cage with butterflies <laughs> like landing all over him and. Him laughing hysterically. Speaking of laughing at things inappropriately, this is a little bit of a digression, <laughs> but I saw on Twitter somebody <laughs> tweeted uh, like one of those when you're trying to concentrate in mass, but your brain is doing this or whatever. Um, and there was a video, I'll put it in the show notes if I can find it on Twitter, of just like this kind of elderly cowboy <laughs> type of guy whose image is... <sighs> You know, in like camera angles where you you kind of do a wipe where you can see the ghost of a person over a landscape. You know what I'm talking about? When you like half swipe the second image in so you can kind of see them transparently. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how to describe this very well, but it's basically like a sort of transparent cowboy guy in various colored vests (laughs) (laughs) just screaming (laughs) over this kind of corny (laughs) techno beat. He's like screaming, ah. (laughs) <laughs> and, and now it's one of those things that's so absurd it's perfectly my sense of humor that absurdist yeah. humor and now when i get distracted like the last two mornings in daily mass i shouldn't even say this but a couple of times i've i get gotten distracted like during the eucharistic prayer and then that thing is linked now to me getting distracted at mass so i think about that guy <laughs> oh that's not good man those associations <laughs> Anyways, to go back to uh, Christian Shoe, uh, butterflies, cottonwood, magic, lightning striking twice. So I remember when I was at IPF, my first year, the the experience I had that sort of like was a turning point for me was in this the main chapel at Creighton. What's that chapel called? I can't remember. Um, Saint, Saint John. Saint John. Saint John. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful church, <clears throat> and I you know I was like halfway back on the right side it was during adoration it was evening and uh it was during a holy hour reading a certain scripture the resurrection account where mary magdalene in in john where mary magdalene sees him thinks he's the gardener he says her name he realizes she realizes who he is so that was like the circumstances of me having um an encounter with christ in the eucharist that was kind of life-changing and I remember going back for my 30 day two years later and sort of feeling like, hmm, maybe if I, you know, especially in times of desolation where it wasn't working and I was praying, but not feeling that same kind of consolation. There were a couple times where I was like, maybe you just try to recreate those exact circumstances. 
you know, reading yeah. that scripture in that pew at that time of day during adoration and maybe it'll happen again. And it's, it never does, you know. And I remember when we went to Mount Tabor, the Mount of Transfiguration in um, Galilee, I had that same feeling of like, I want to be at the Transfiguration, you know. I don't want to just go to the mountain and think about the transfiguration. I want to experience what those guys experience. But those are those revelations, those epiphanies. You can't just you can't manufacture them. Um, and I I think it's kind of similar with a with a story. You know, um, you can't just retell the same story with slightly different characters or different plot twists and have it be the same kind of magic that it is the first time around. I don't know, it's the mystery of art, I guess. Well, but I think it also, because you actually made me think of My Big Grace out in IPF, which came when I um, finally quit trying to, I mean, and this is, you know, one of Barron's big phrases. I quit trying to grasp at this experience that I had heard so many guys talk about that they had. And oftentimes it came from identifying a wound and then finding healing and grace in that wound. And for the whole summer, I was just like so fixated on this idea that there was this deep wound inside of me that I needed to, I needed to get to, I needed to reach so that then God could, you know, he could heal me and I could have this huge experience of grace or whatever. And I just remember, yeah, I wasn't even in a chapel. I was just like getting so frustrated as the summer was winding down and it was just this huge sense of freedom like hey you don't have to have that like everybody else had Hmm. Um, and maybe you just need to accept what I'm trying to give you right now so it's a little bit different not in the sense that I was trying to repeat something but I was trying to create an experience of how I thought things were supposed to be Mm -hmm. I was you know trying to grasp at that encounter with the Lord and then when I finally gave up on it um, yeah there's this huge sense of freedom there and I actually started to like really glean gleam a lot of the grace that was present within the summer that I, I don't think I was aware of, um, hadn't been able to receive it. Yeah, and I remember the moment. Hmm. It, happen, it happens a lot in funerals when people come and uh, they say, I was at a funeral once and they did this song or they, it was just such a nice, you know, feeling. I, I left feeling like, happy and like it was a celebration of life or you know something like that they'll say i want that song for that reason and i always think to myself i I just don't think we're going to recreate what you have to let everything be itself you know like this funeral is going to be this funeral and uh there's just no repeating i guess that's what joy is like you have to be thankful for it but then let it go and that thing is never going to happen again um, but you can be grateful for it. Yeah. And I wonder what the difference is just looking with, um, you know, Ignatius's rules. Uh, I mean, he makes a, a big point of talking about going back to graces, mm-hmm. that, that sense of repetition. So I wonder what that difference is of, um, yeah, going back to the grace, but also not trying to recreate it, like allowing it to be new and, and unique. Um, which kind of makes me think of our conversation in the Holy Land. When are things just circular or are they, is there a type of depth in having these reoccurring experiences um, where it's not the same experience, it's similar, but it's different and it's being made new. Um, 
I know that's all very that's pretty vague and abstract. Gosh, but. I haven't thought about repetitions in a long time. That's not good. Repetitions is yeah, that's an important idea of Ignatius. Yeah, it's a very powerful prayer. That is, yeah. I was actually it's funny. I just thought of that today. Like I haven't kind of utilized repetitions in my own prayer in a while as well. So maybe it's a call for us to go back to some yeah. stuff. But I know we I think we talked about this last year, uh, or very similar on the podcast, but I was just thinking about, um, I'm trying to recall exactly that conversation in the Holy Land is coming back to me, but, um, on the podcast, I remember talking about, it was pretty quick. It was like right before maybe I was ordained last spring or sometime, but just this notion, I had the image of like my parents deck is one of my favorite places in, Mm -hmm. in the world because I would like smoke cigars and drink whiskey and my dad and just like so much of my life has happened on that deck and like it's still the same place that i can always go back to but it's just radically different as well Mm -hmm. um so i don't know what you were just talking about that's what i thought of of like that's the best way i've been able to integrate that into Mm -hmm. my own life yeah Uh, i think that's the point of the repetition too the repetition is not about creating the exact right feeling or experience by recreating the circumstances is going back to, and it, it could be just an interior thing like your Nazareth example from last week or two weeks ago, Mike, <clears throat> mm-hmm. a repetition would be to just say, Hey, last Holy hour, this image was a source of deep grace for me, consolation or, or election or whatever was going on in my heart. I'm going to go back to that place and try to get, you know, let God work more through that image or that phrase or whatever. Uh, that memory. Yeah, because God, yeah, it's just, it's not, it, it's like, to me, the purification of the vessels at mass, you don't let a single particle go to waste. You know, if God gives you some grace, you go back to that grace and you, you consume it all, you know, you don't waste it. That's what, to me, a repetition is. But again, I haven't thought about it in a while. Yeah. When it's, yeah, because it's, I, this is uh, maybe diverting from this a little bit, but um, I was just thinking about that of like, you know, talking to other people as well and encouraging them go to go back to graces in their life and trying to get that point across of like, this is more than just remembering something right. that happened right. just to like strengthen your resolve or mm-hmm. um whatever and so i don't know i guess this it's also just made me appreciate like just really good priests and spiritual directors that i've had in my life that just i think the fruit of like a lot of years of priesthood and direction is that they have this like very keen very sharp understanding of human nature and still they allow themselves to like be surprised by god's grace which is super cool to Mm -hmm. me in other people um so i was thinking of this example of um when i was growing up i would read a lot of john wooden the old ucla basketball coach and i can't remember what book this was in um but pretty much when he was the head coach at ucla every year as just like a little game with himself he would look at their schedule and he would predict the win the games they were going to win and the games they were going to lose and he said that like for years in a row, he might have missed like one game hmm. in wow. his prediction. And it wasn't in like his point was not that like he was going to change his preparation for those games or whatever. But he was just like, 
my understanding of the guys in front of me, it's like, I think we're going to like slip up in this game, you know? Hmm. Um, and he would almost always have it right. But it didn't like change the way he prepared or want to win or like would have been surprised and like joyful had he won, but he just knew it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know how exactly that ties in, but I was like, I wonder if there is like a certain um, like aspect that uh, that comes comes into that because it's like I think that's probably how God looks at us. I mean, obviously, He knows when yeah. we're going to slip up, but that's the <clears throat> right. image I have. Is, is He's hoping we do it, you know, like overcome a temptation <clears throat> or or whatever. But He knows our weakness and um. I don't know. I'm doing this. Uh, actually, a listener gave me a litany of trust. I think it's called. It's from the Sisters of Life, and I've been praying it every morning. Hmm. Um, and it's just kind of a like the litany of like any litany, uh, like a litany of humility is the one I'm thinking of, where it's just a kind of a reminder every day, asking Jesus for things that you don't normally really want, um, but you should want. And a couple of them are like deliver me from uh now I can't remember it, but basically all these different lies like that I'm unlovable or that I need to earn your love or that I have what it takes, you know, like all these different kind of mutations of the same lie, which is that um I'm not absolutely one hundred percent dependent on you for anything and everything. Um and that I have to trust you completely. Uh, that to me is the project of the spiritual life. That's very paradoxical and it's difficult for not being difficult. It's like, it'd be one thing if it was just hard and you'd have to train really hard. But um, I remember reading Merton or listening to Merton, see new seeds of contemplation in the car on the way up and down from the parish, my first year as a priest. And just like, he keeps saying how contemplation is not our doing. It has to be a revelation of God, an encounter with God that he initiates. Yet at the same time, it's not just going to happen if you don't put yourself in a position to be encountered by God. And like this whole whole paradox of it's you, but it's not you. And it's all him, but you have to do something. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's like, I preached about this at the funeral today, the idea of Viktor Frankl's super meaning that mm. you can't, have you guys ever read that Viktor Frankl's man's search for meaning? Yes. Yep. The one idea, maybe we've talked about this on the podcast before, but the, he was all about you. If you have a meaning to your life, you can do anything, right? You can under, you can undergo any suffering and still come out a human being. If you have some overarching meaning to your life that you're living for, but in the face of deep, deep suffering that's kind of uncomprehendable, you need this faith in a super meaning that there is a meaning that you just can't see by necessity. Like the monkey who's getting insulin shots every day can't understand what diabetes is. All he experiences is this prick of the needle every day and thinks that this person is hurting him, but it's actually saving him. Like that's the meaning of, by analogy, a lot of the suffering that we undergo in our life. But it's like on the far side of reason, you have to like surrender at some point in trust that um, God knows, you know. 
like the, that coach is just he knows when he's, his team's going to screw up and that's a coach you know a basketball coach and he just knows that from coaching a lot how much more does god know absolutely every little inch of you of your motives of your of your desires your thoughts and we think we're on our own we think we can do it on our own or we think that we can't do it on our own and therefore we're screwed but neither of those things is right um because he has to do it all for us i remember mike warden once said i came back from ipf i'm like yeah i realized that i'm completely dependent on god and he's like yeah a lot of people say god is a crutch but i think he's more of a wheelchair <laughs> i was like that's <laughs> that's good i like that yeah that is good <laughs> dang yeah um, I did it again. I made you guys not have anything to say. Uh, I, I went all over the place. Sorry. <laughs> the far side of reason. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I like mm-hmm. that. What? Go back to that. The what we were talking about in the Holy Land. I feel like that ties in. Oh yeah. Here pretty well. Yeah. Um. Well, we because it was based off of. Um, dang, I, I keep forgetting the show that we watched over there. Oh, True Detective. True Detective. Okay. Now True I'm Detective. remembering this conversation yeah. Yeah, because yeah. he he describes. Uh, Nietzsche's philosophy. Well, there's like just, he takes th- that show takes like a, a a basic reading of oh gosh, what's it called? Um, eternal 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 recurrence theory, yeah. which is a Nietzsche yeah. theory of like time as a flat circle. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Continue. Um, Wait, explain that remember, more. What does that mean? Time as a flat circle. I've heard. Oh, that. I. Th- uh, in the show, which I've never read it like straight from Nietzsche, like okay. how I understood it is that, um, they, I, I think one of the, it's kind of a passing line. Yeah. It's McConaughey's character. And he says like, my, my life is just one has just been one F up after the other. Yeah. And so it's kind of like this, um, like the same thing in his understanding of reality, like just keeps happening over and over and over again. And, um, so it's like an eternal recurrence of like bad stuff. And anyway, you can't can't get out of this loop. You can't get out of the, the, the loop. Well, Mm -hmm. is the idea. Yeah. And then the show will kind of, I think break that, but anyway. Yeah, continue. well, and, and I think the the big way that he presents it that's so different than um, like Frankel's idea that you just talked about is the way he presents it is I think it leads to a type of nihilism where it's like this this doesn't mean anything. There's actually no purpose, no meaning because it's just the same. It's just yep. this repeating mess up over and over again where Frankel would say, no, there actually is meaning there. There's meaning underneath it. Um, but the way he presents it, it's just totally, um, it's just totally turned in on itself and essentially has no effect, um, in reality. It doesn't change anything. There is no purpose to, to his mistakes. There is no purpose to his, um, to his own pain and his own suffering. But like you said, I think the show actually refutes that at the end, at the very end. Yeah. Yeah. But so how that related to our conversation, I can't remember, but you applied it to a specific grace that you had. And it reminded me of a conversation I had where... I it was the back porch, wasn't it? That was the great, like you kept going back to the same place, but it was different. Oh, uh, that could fill in there. Yeah, I'm yeah. trying to remember it to the, the Holy Land exactly. But yeah, use that exactly. That's exactly it. That's yeah. the idea. Yep. And it, it reminded me of a conversation that I had 
um, where the person was describing how we store experiences and it's much less through, through thoughts. And oftentimes what like counselors will do is they will smells with smells. Yeah. So different, (laughs) I mean, different, well, different sensate experiences can certainly bring it back. But he said that we actually store experiences and memories through actually uh, more through our emotions than our actual thoughts. And so the practice is to stir up an emotion that could be like if you're trying to heal a trauma or something like that, you could think about something that makes you sad or something that's painful. And that same experience that you're having right now will, in a sense, like open up the the experience, the memory that you had had in the past where you had had a similar emotional reaction so that your emotion that you're having right now um, opens up this file or this this experience that you had way way back in the day through the trigger of your emotion, and then once that old memory has been opened up through the emotion, then you can actually talk about that. You can bring it to mind and and bring healing to it. Um, so that was like the two pieces that we had going on in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I again, I can't remember what it was related to with your grace, but but I. I I think there are distinctions that are there that make it um, a type of repetition, but it's not recreating the experience mm-hmm. um, where it is new, but it's also, I mean, it's, a, it's an old memory, you know, mm-hmm. something that happened in the past, but it's in a sense being recreated. So it's not cyclical in the nihilistic way of viewing it where it's actually redemptive. Mm-hmm. Can I blow uh, your minds for a second? Yeah. So remember how... Uh, Months ago, this was probably April, I think last time I did this, but I was just like writing for an hour, um, writing fiction or whatever. Yes. Uh, as kind of an experiment in character creation or that sort of imaginative exercise. So finally, last Thursday, I had a day off. I didn't really feel like driving anywhere. Or I'd already kind of had visits with families and friends throughout the week. So I was reading a lot and working on some other stuff. But I decided to do that, to write for an hour. And so I set the timer on my phone for an hour. And I just couldn't think of anything to write. So <clears throat> what ended up coming out was like the day that I left, which happened to be Mother's Day, the day that I left for the first time to go to California to fight forest fires. And I just started writing as if that was a story, but kind of using my memories of what I could... Rem- I was. I wrote basically a thousand words where I was a character in the story but not the main, yeah, the main character, but like I was really more interested in the the people around me that I was interacting with and stuff. And it was just, it was like exactly like you're saying, Mike, where it's going back to a memory, but it's totally, it's not just recreating it. And that maybe some, what ties back to the whole idea of art and storytelling and lightning not striking twice in the same place is that There's something about the way that we experience reality, that we're like a lens that perceives reality. And we've talked about this too, remember years ago, about our perceptions of kind of being based on what we believe. Like what you you see is sort of dependent on what you believe is out there. Yeah. And I just noticed that like trying to describe the details of, first of all you don't remember everything that happened you don't remember like what everything looked like or the order of events exactly but you remember the important stuff like what that experience did to me and now looking back 
what I think of that person, that 21 year old who went out to California, not knowing what the heck he was doing and looking 11 years in retrospect at that. Um, you know, it's just, that's what art is. That's what life is. That's what, what storytelling is, what this podcast is, is like our experience of reality then floated through the prism of our selves, you know, our unique souls, um, and spit out and shared. And I know it's like, it makes me think of the CS Lewis idea of when you get to heaven, you just, you get to share everybody else's experience of God. What was that idea? I remember you brought that up once, Mike, you know what I'm talking about? How uh, you when you bond with people around. Oh yeah. His idea of friendship. Yeah. His idea of friendship that, um, yeah, the more, the more people that you bring into, um, into a friendship, the more you get to see like different uh, different aspects of a person that you yourself couldn't see on your own. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, you watching me ro- interact with Rob is different than your own interaction with Rob. Right. So it, in a sense, illuminates a different characteristic of Rob that you couldn't see on your own. Yeah, that's it. It's like every, what does Father Hennessy say? That every human being is a unique what instantiation of God's love or something like that U- unique expression of God's infinite love um, that's it and we imitate that by creating things and telling good stories or making good art but it kind of made me want to go back and continue writing that like maybe once a week just try to write an hour about that story or some other story in my life um, hmm. you know what I mean like to to see yeah. Sometimes I, I sit down and I pray and I don't have anything on my mind and I have to either read something or just start write, writing in a journal, like anything. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, things come to me, make connections or feelings, thoughts, desires come to the surface uh, that you didn't know were there. It's kind of wild. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah and I think a, a really liberating, like exciting thing that this whole idea of memories and... Um, yeah, like praying with past events and things like that. Um, th- that was so exciting for me because, uh, like, like we've been saying, I, I wasn't recreating it, right? I wasn't even trying to live back in that moment, but I was able to, with my relationship with, with Christ right now, look back at something in the past and actually see it through new eyes. So that something that seemed isolated where I seemed alone, where like, Oh, there's no way that the Lord was with me when I was being a debaucherous human being in college. <laughs> and then you actually look back and inform that memory with grace, then it's no longer a part of my mind or my heart that is without God. Hmm. It now is totally in well, and and that's a part of I think going back to those memories is it's slowly being redeemed so that you know, we say God is always with us. Okay, well that that does look like something. So when I look back at my past and bring the Lord into those things, then those memories are not isolated from his providential hand. Um, yeah. And then you become a more integrated, holistic human being through that, which that, so that was a very, um, very exciting fruit from that whole practice for me. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Which, I mean, it, it applied at, because that was our diaconate canonical retreat on the Mount of Beatitudes, and we had that conversation. Mm-hmm. And what was coming up was just 
a lot of relationships with gals. You know, you're getting close. It was on my heart and on my mind very much the promise of celibacy. And um, yeah, what is that? That's going to be a huge challenge going forward. And so all of these very deep, impactful relationships that I had were were coming to mind. And instead of looking at them or or having them come up and feeling them as being like things that uh, that I was losing, then the Lord was able to essentially enter into those relationships and make them new. And in that moment that um, I could see that, yeah, like those aren't things that I'm giving up, but in fact, those were things that led me to, to actually be a good deacon where these, these people and these loves and relationships uh, were actually necessary for, for me to be, um, to be a priest, which I, I never would have necessarily made those connections so clearly, but it was just very obvious that like God wanted me to meet those people and he wanted me to fall in love with certain people. And, um, yeah, so that my heart could be totally filled in places where I couldn't have filled it on my own. So he used these relationships to, yeah, like empty his love into them um, where I hadn't seen it before. And so those old experiences, those old relationships were, were made new in in my own vocation, in my own life. Um, and not abstractly, like very, very concretely. Um, yeah, so that was that was a big idea for me. That was pretty liberating in that sense. We have possession of that part of your heart now. Yeah. Like that's what it, you know, ultimately comes down to. It's like other people show you parts of your heart. Yeah. Which, yeah, which means that like it's possible to look back on your life and not be afraid of any, of any moment or any experience. Um, you know, but that means you have to actually let the Lord into those places, which oftentimes we don't want to visit. Um, yeah, for whatever reason. So, so then, you know, I think it leads to free human beings, to people who, yeah. like, the power of the gospel is has totally taken, uh, taken ownership of their heart, and they're living out of a place of freedom instead of an avoidance of pain or fear. Um, yeah, I mean, it can. That's what changes people. That's what I want, man. I want to be free. Yeah, me too. I also want free stuff. Hmm. Hmm. Say more about that. <laughs> well, I did. I, I'm glad yeah. you asked because we just happened to get some free stuff this week. GuadalupeRoastery.com. Coffee for the common good. Were you guys surprised when you saw that in the mail? Very. Oh, I yeah. kept it a secret from you that I responded to his Oh, oh you dog. Yeah, I'm such a dog. <laughs> Yeah, you are. Drink it to the dregs. Yeah. Every sip counts. Dregs. It's good. It's <laughs> if they really have good. any requests for mottos or slogans, I like those. Drink it is it. going to be the coffee that we brew mm-hmm. when we podcast in here. So this is the second cup. Drink this cup of suffering to the dregs. Drink it to the dregs. Mm-hmm. My cup overfloweth. <laughs> it tastes like a steak dinner. <laughs> <laughs> combined with what was it chocolate chip pancakes and a back rub or something uh and tobacco tobacco <laughs> tobacco, tobacco a steak dinner chocolate chip cookies yeah i'd give this coffee to my kids <laughs> if i had not that i have many children only a couple <laughs> well mike i think i think that's really beautiful that stuff you just said about freedom that really is true 
and I felt I, I meant it when I said I want to be free. Like I felt the desire, um, kind of like what you guys were talking about the whole holy hour and discipline. And um, I mean, I, I think of it as something that people used to say and focus all the time. Like kind of a catch-all was grace builds on nature, which a lot of times seemed like an excuse or a shortcut to just saying uh, do better, try harder, um, because God will give you more grace if you get up early and do your holy hour or go to mass every day or whatever. But really it, there is a, a sense of like Tim Glomkowski tweeted something re- that I retweeted. He said being Glomkowski. real. You remember him? Oh, oh yeah. 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 I think oh, he's yeah. doing well. I haven't seen him in a long time, but he, he contacted me recently about doing something together. But um, his tweet was something like being real doesn't mean being the worst version of yourself. <laughs> Which I thought that's very uh, pithy. I mean, it's a it's a truism. It's so obvious that it's true, but it's uh, but it's like points out something that's kind of in the back of people's mind sometimes. It's like, oh man, he's being so real. He's using the f word, or you know, um, having one too many beers, or so. You know, like that's <laughs> not being real. That's being a like a bad version of yourself. Um, obviously, there's another extreme where there's a fakeness to. That's another way of living out of fear, which is I can't be normal. I have to be some kind of fake version of myself because who I really am is not good. But there's a certain like easy freedom about being yourself right. that I want. There's a great Sufjan Stevens song called I Want to Be Well. And actually speaking of the F word, there's a whole there's a whole repetitive chorus where he goes, I'm not effing around. I'm not. But the... uh the whole thrust of the song is I want to be well. I like, I want to be whole. I want to be free. Um, yeah. Well, I guess to me, like it all comes down to that question, not even question, but like for this purpose, like the question of it is the spiritual life real or not. And like, that's, that's like the driving point. I mean, that's the grace of this Edith Stein class continually that we're in is she is describing the spiritual life with clarity that I have never like read before which is really awesome but like she's just describing a reality that she understands and lives like she's not coming up with these ideas to try to like fit something into it she's trying to fit the ideas that she's saying around something that um that she knows um but i don't know i know that's like i just have to remind myself sometimes of that of like you can try to just the whole notion of like being real, whatever, you know, it's so easy to just look at the world in like a totally material way, or at least in my brain, it, it is. And, mm. um, so it just, it just goes to that question of like, I, I actually like, like believe and would also say like, I know this is, this more is real. Yeah, yeah. Like this is mm-hmm. more real. And then, and then you can start to integrate, okay, like, what is the what is the psychological what is the spiritual what is the like whatever else um but it just i had a conversation um i did with a um a person i know a few weeks ago that has just gone through like some anxiety stuff and we're just saying like it's been very hard but it's been like a real like grace at the same time of in a sense like 
dealing with the anxiety has allowed him kind of into, you could use that same analogy, like into parts of his heart that are kind of scary to go. But he couldn't get there until he um, like dealt with that first in a, like a very like clinical um, psychological sphere allows him to now integrate spiritual stuff hmm. into it, hmm. uh, which it's just, yeah, uh, it's as it's as real as the chair I'm sitting in, man. But um, it's tough, like it's tough to get around completely. It's as real as that prison that they broke out of many of those many years ago. Mm. Did the 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 far side of reason, that's what you said, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think Baron has his uh, his talk he gave at Facebook headquarters on yeah, Don't you don't need on, to point it out. That's a complete ripoff of something Baron constantly says. Oh the dang. Far side dude. Of reason. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was just gonna <laughs> I was, say that it was not my original thought. Well, d- hey, don't worry, dude. In one of my one Just of my that out, man. I, yeah. <laughs> all me. That was my original thought. Yeah. So one of these days, I'm gonna have to put in that thing for my brother Ethan, the his favorite part of the show. That oh edit. my goodness, that thing is so funny. It's the best thing we've ever done. Yeah, that we've ever produced. Yes. Yep. Um, but he talks about that. I mean, Baron in that in that talk. Oh, by the way, I stole one of his phrases as well in a recent. Um, <laughs> was an assessment of a reading we had to do for Hebden's class. Mm-hmm. And I used, I used the phrase, as I was talking about the desire for freedom and why mm-hmm. people aren't free. And because they're not free, they're, we're, we're la- acting less than human. And uh, part of it, I said, uh, yeah, everyone's just like being ushered into whatever the, the culture wants. They're, no one has an ability to make a choice. And therefore, we're just herniating on the fence of indecision. <laughs> oh, yeah. He said that on the podcast. He said, he said that, that on the podcast. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He may have said it, but it's our property, that content. Is our <laughs> yes, property. yes, it is. Yeah. We have the it, recording. <laughs> I footnoted Three Dogs North inside <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> yes. No, no, no. I didn't do that. I should, should have. have, man. Like yeah. a madman, dude. Just, just academic. What is it again? Herniating on the fence of indecision indecision yeah oh, i thought it was ambivalence God. i thought it was ambivalence it was ambivalence i think it's okay ambivalence. well then that is my original thought okay <laughs> i i claim that as mine right here and right now i should go back return in the paper and footnote this episode how, how long have we been recording what time is it <laughs> 53 exact minutes time yeah, that is seconds. okay that's the second best thing we've ever produced first thing is that clip from your brother ethan first thing <laughs> Or second thing is herniating on the fence of yeah. ambivalence. Dude, th- this whole conversation of freedom, and we're, we're going to have to go here shortly, so I'm yeah, just going to end with this quasi-scandalous story. But I had this experience last night going into the chapel, and Brimmer was in there, and he was preparing. He's one of our classmates. He was preparing for, I guess, a, a mass that was going to happen in the Deacon Chapel today. He was preparing for it last night because that's what he does. And... It was perfect timing. He was walking into the sacristy as I was walking in. So when I walked into the chapel, I was just looking at his back and he was walking away from me. So he didn't see me come in. And he's like setting all this stuff up. He puts the, the uh, lectionary out on the, on the ambo and then goes into the sacristy, doesn't see me. And so I come in and my immediate thought is, I'm about to scare the bejesus out of <laughs> Michael Brimmer. <laughs> And then I'm thinking like, oh, here's the Lord. I'm in the chapel. Like, I don't know if this is the right place to do this. <laughs> and so I'm, so 
I'm hiding behind the ambo, <laughs> and I'm hiding there for like five minutes. Oh, five minutes turned into ten minutes, and I am just sitting on the floor <laughs> behind this ambo, and I just keep having this conversation in my head like, is this okay to do in the chapel? Like, I'm about to jump out and scare the ever-living stew out of this guy. <laughs> and just talking with the Lord of like, no, you know what? Like, the I am going to do this. Like the Lord would absolutely delight in me in me doing this right now. So I slammed the lectionary shut on the ambo and he, he pops out. There's nobody in the chapel. He can't see anybody. So he goes to walk by. And of course I, I jump out and scare the mess out of him, man. <laughs> out, of, out of nowhere. It's like 830 at night, totally pitch oh black dark. Gosh. And I just jump up. <laughs> He's totally just in the chapel just me and him and the lord and it was i was just incredibly delightful but (laughs) yeah there's this deep sense of freedom like yeah dude i would totally do this to bremer and i think the lord would absolutely delight in this so freedom man we we do need freedom that's amazing yeah it drives us to do different things that like oftentimes freedom allows me to do things that i would never think the lord would be okay with (laughs) I can and picture I, that so yeah. easily. Oh, dude, it was so funny. Oh. <laughs> and then he's shaking his fist at me, <laughs> yeah. and I'm shaking my fist at him, and two pre-theology yes. guys come in. <laughs> of and course. they're like, what is going on in here? <laughs> oh, All right, bro, Hamers. See ya, big dog. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. My favorite part of the show is listening to you guys um, just grow and struggle and get back up and keep, you know, keep working on it. My favorite part of the show is listening to you guys um, just and and up and keep, you know, keep working on it. And that I think that's what I get the most out of.